Hello, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. This podcast is out every other Tuesday with a review of either a recent release or a movie from film history. This week, we look at a private eye detective who is trying to solve an attempted murder case. And who is the suspect? Well, it's the friendly cartoon Roger Rabbit. I'm joined by my guest Eric Bonnet today to talk about the 1988 classic Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Take it away. So how you doing? <laughs> I'm all right. How are you, Josh? I'm doing good. Thanks. Thanks. Um, so obviously we're talking about Who Framed Roger Rabbit today. Of course. And, and um, for our listeners, if you have not seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit, um, I implore you to. We like were, you a couple days yeah, ago. Yeah, we'll talk about, yeah. <laughs> um, this this episode is going to contain spoilers. So Full spoilers. Go watch the movie and then come back and listen. You've been warned. So let's start. So yes. Infamously, throughout high school, Eric and our other friend Connor uh, were shocked and appalled to find out that I had not seen this movie ever. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know about other people, but honestly, because we can, we'll get into it more. But I've had a long history with this movie, and I'm sure other people have have had much longer uh, histories, seeing that it's only been a 1988 release. But this current year is its 30th anniversary, by the way. Oh. But, uh, yeah, I, I have a very long history with this movie. And I was very, you know, when people don't watch the movies you watch and religiously watch at, at that fact, uh, it's really jarring to be like, you haven't seen this. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this was an exception because this is a very, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is very much a, it's a very pivotal movie. And a lot of my points I'll get into later yeah. but it's very I feel very important in order to actually talk about film in general so I'm happy you finally watched it no, and yeah. I'm, act- I'm actually interested to see uh, what you thought yeah it's um, my, I mean my response always was like you know I've seen Looney Tunes back in action but I haven't seen oh, this. A class. No. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is a lot better than that. And I, for, I finally got to watch this movie just two nights ago. And I will say, I really liked it. I liked you it really a lot. liked it. I did. You liked it a lot. I did. Wow. <laughs> it's a miracle. Um, so we're gonna um before we talk about our our feelings like um critically and our analysis of it. Uh, just a quick facts about the movie came out in uh, 1988 and was directed by Robert Zemeckis, Woo! which I had actually forgotten about. Oh yeah, watching he, this movie. Yeah, he's he's an unsung hero in the world of Hollywood in the 1980s. Not so much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> this is right after. Um, uh, this is three years after Back to the Future. Right, this is his follow up to that movie. I'm not sure if there was anything in between. I'm pretty sure it was just. Because he had done Romancing the Stone and then Back to the Future, and I think this was right mm-hmm. after this. Yeah, he so he was riding a pretty good high well, in the eighties. Being St- Spielberg's protege, yeah, exactly. helps a lot too. He produ- he helped like he executive produced the movie, right? Was Spielberg? He? Yeah. Oh yeah, he yeah. played a big role in this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So released in nineteen eighty eight, the cast uh, includes um, Bob Hoskins, Christopher Lloyd, uh, Charles Fleischer as Roger Rabbit. 
and uh, Kathleen Turner as the voice of Jessica Rabbit, although she's uncredited. uncredited. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why? Why is that, do you think? Oh, I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I don't... <laughs> I don't know. Some people just want to just help out, but then not want to be mm -hmm. dragged into it because Charles Fleischer really got into it. Mm -hmm. I, but she... I don't know. I would. I really wouldn't want to be associated with Jessica's brand uh -huh. if I voiced her. No, yeah, I got gotcha. you. Um, but who's to say? I didn't really look into that mm -hmm. aspect of it. This is uh, this movie is based off of um, Gary K. Wolf's novel, who censored Roger Rabbit, and this title actually ends in a question mark, unlike the actual film's title. Interestingly enough, I can get into that. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Well, because that's that's considered um, bad luck in the industry, right? If your movie ends in a in a question mark, that's what I, I read something about that. That's like kind of superstition in Hollywood. Yeah, I guess it's a thing. Mm -hmm. So this uh, this movie was extremely popular. It was um, it had a budget of about thirty million dollars and grossed about three hundred million, I believe, somewhere around that title, that range. Um, its budget was closer to around fifty million mm -hmm. because this movie notoriously went over budget oh <laughs> um but it did make roughly 300 so million dollars box office and that's 1988 money yeah so that's that's big bucks that's oh yeah still big bucks nowadays well yeah and uh it's it's also famous that many people were originally asked to play eddie valent like eddie murphy jack nicholson and i i read a story that bill murray um they tried to contact him but they couldn't get a hold of him and he didn't find out until later when he was like reading about it and they're like oh we couldn't get a hold of him and he literally screamed in public because he was just like he was he didn't know he was just so taken aback and he thinks like he totally would have loved to done it I think it's for the best. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I'm I'm happy that they they settled. Bill Bill Murray with Eddie Valiant's writing does not compute. It would it would be very very different. Um, in terms of the critical response, uh, Roger Ebert gave this star gave this uh, movie four out of four stars, and said that it was uh, insanely fun but very creative, and it was one of his favorites of the year. So, very uh, much received very high critically and had a 97% score on Rotten Tomatoes. I, obviously, and that means everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, based on 62 reviews and has an average um, yeah what's the average score on that I believe because I actually know how Rotten Tomatoes work average score of 8.4 out of 10 oh 8 because usually in films and this is just a tangent on Rotten Tomatoes but usually films in like the 90s are usually have an average score of like 7 mm -hmm. out of 10 but eight's pretty good yeah. for the average of 7 on that website yeah definitely it was nominated uh, for three Academy Awards and was or won three and uh, received a special achievement award. It became the first live action um, animated hybrid film to win multiple Academy Awards since Mary Poppins in 1964, which is a really big achievement because you don't see films like this very often, I feel. Well, it's a weird case because Who Framed Roger Rabbit is very much so, I don't know, because it's very much a love letter to uh, like 1940s kind of filmmaking mm -hmm. and it harkens back to that and same thing is kind of the case with Mary Poppins but that's more adding imagination to it but like yeah films nowadays technically they're all half animated mm -hmm. like you go to see Avengers and half of it is yeah, half CGI. CGI so 
yeah. I don't know where the barrier is, but so it's obviously it's it's easy to say that this film was received very well critically but what do we think about it mm. so let's get in we'll talk about some of our favorite scenes from the beginning on i really like that this uh movie starts off with a roger rabbit cartoon i think it's a lot of fun like the cla- like i grew up with looney tunes oh like yeah, that yeah. Style of cartoons. It, re- it really harkens back to that and i wrote here that um even in the opening, like even before the cartoon plays, you got that that saucy uh, saxophone playing, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of really brought me into the mindset of how well this movie combines the silliness of all of its ideas with the seriousness of the way they take it, because it starts out with that very sultry saxophone as a backdrop over the scarlet red title card who framed roger rabbit invoking the sense of film noir and then it instantly goes into this looney tunes tom and jerry cartoon that in my opinion is a great intro Mm -hmm. to not only roger but the like baby herman Mm -hmm. and stuff like that because the thing this movie does well is, like I said, mixing the two of seriousness and silliness. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, the first like couple scenes of this movie are just like one long take. Yeah, and not really, but it feels like it to be mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. At first, when I when we first uh, see, or I guess I meet Roger, I was at first a little um, apprehensive just because I was a little annoyed with him. But yeah, but that's the point. Yeah, though. no. <laughs> but as it went on, and as we got more into his into like when he got into more of the story, I was like, I really was, I really felt for him, and I actually did really like him. He didn't get on my nerves that much. Well, and the beauty of the whole first like 20 minutes first half hour of this movie it just drops you into the world that the movie creates Mm -hmm. like granted there is some exposition planted here and there but in my opinion a lot of that is very organic yeah um and the world building is just very nice there's that scene of um eddie uh leaving the studio Mm-hmm. And it just pans around uh, him looking around all the cartoons yeah. and all the filmmakers and all the, the prop masters walking around. Just one long shot, which shots like that were took like years to yeah. even finish. Mm-hmm. But like I said, the type of world building, yeah. like, and granted, having seen this movie a million times... I'm always like, oh, he he looks so surprised. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but as we learn later that like it's not too different of a world he's lived in before, yeah. but that that's really just for the audience. Yeah, you don't. It's the Harry Potter moment. I like that you are just kind of put into this area and just expect it to follow. This is the type of movie where the longer you think about logistic details, the more stupid it gets. <laughs> um but that's okay because th- we can get into the actual quote-unquote mystery later yeah but the whole point this is a very pathos heavy yeah movie mm-hmm. like it's the energy emitted from the actual cartoons and the the live action actors who kind of have to emote a lot more to keep up with the cartoon exactly yeah and um that gets us into the introduction of eddie of uh, valiant who is played perfectly by Bob Hoskins. Bob Hoskins. He's oh, he's, he's honestly there's is a perfect performance. I don't I I just think he 
what there was no one better to play the part i know they went through so many people but he gives a dynamite performance He's, and i think it's the physicality of him too but even little things that he does he's very he's very nuanced in this performance um especially when his mannerisms in which he speaks and for the longest time when i was little i didn't know he was an english actor mm -hmm. so i thought that was his actual voice yeah um and that just goes to show how great he is and like since I've seen this movie, since I've been four or five, you have, you have like little instances of like things that you love, mm -hmm. like nitpicky things that no one would notice yeah. <laughs> unless you've seen it a million times. And one of those things is uh, Bob Hoskins rubbing his face. And he just looks so greasy and slimy and it makes a noise and goes like. <laughs> <laughs> he's, I didn't, I didn't he's even very, notice that. He's very uh, slimy in this movie. Yeah, I mean, he, he definitely has. Literally. He is perfect for, like you said, the physicality of capturing that um, that noir feeling of the 40s and the 50s. Like he, he just like has that kind of, you know, he's the private eye. Like you can mm -hmm. totally see him just sitting by a, a window with the blinds like halfway open, just kind of looking out there and hating the world. Well, like, even even going on off of all the world building and uh lack of some exposition what this movie does great is uh character building through their actions yeah um there's it's it's so short it's so short but i love it it's when um eddie's walking by the trolley the red trolley mm -hmm. and he can't get on because he can't pay because he's a slime ball yeah. whatever so he goes on the back with the kids yeah i love those kids <laughs> but i love the fact that even more that he just helps the other kid running get yeah. back up and he just bonds with the kids and they, they give him the cigarettes and yeah it's a nice little moment that's like yeah he's a cheapo that rides on the back of public transportation but he still cares enough to bond with the children yeah. and at least help the kids yeah. get on the trolley <laughs> stuff like that yeah it's just but he feels like i mean even though he doesn't like in the beginning at least he hates you know tunes he just he still feels for like the human characters and you love to see him interact with them well as we see and we see later on with roger he's very when something's not right he has to do the right thing yeah and he does it but reluctantly and that's why we like him yeah exactly and he has a really great arc which we'll talk about later um the one later on one of my favorite to go off of what uh, his character moments i love the fact that the we see a lot of we get a lot of emotion in this one shot and it's when he goes back to his office and he got to talk about the desk scene yeah the desk scene uh where it's one sweeping shot and we see all of his uh brother's like office materials and his pictures and it's just covered in dust and he's just kind of sitting there looking at it and it sweeps back around to where he's asleep just passed out uh -huh. asleep drunk i just think that that was that's a... one of the best scenes in the movie mm -hmm. and you know it could have been oh i used to be in the soikas you yeah. see we're like oh i was in the police academy or but no it's it's a nice little montage to show off alan Silvestri's score mm -hmm. um which is amazing by the way well, it's, it sounds Vestry. yeah it's, it's so great <laughs> um before we go any further i'd like to point out that all of this that we're talking about within the first like 30 minutes roger rabbit doesn't show up for like a whole 25 yeah. minutes and as i was watching it earlier today because i needed to catch up even though i don't probably didn't need to yeah but watching it again i was looking at the the time on the the blu-ray player and it was like 30 minutes and then roger showed up again and i was like 
Oh my god. Wow, yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. I don't know if that's like, oh, we're almost done with the movie. <laughs> There's a lot of instances uh-huh. where yeah. it's that. So the I think what stands out, obviously, um, apart from the performances, and it's great to see the technicality of having animated and um, live action put together, I think what really stands out in this movie is the story. It's a oh. very... Like, honestly, be- because um, I feel that it's a very, uh, it's there's a lot of moving parts. I feel like it's a complex story of, um, you know, there's corruption and um, there's blackmailing and it's switching from who you think is the, is the actual culprit and villain, but then it goes to this person. And there's a lot of things happening that when information is given and it's given sometimes, a lot of times through people just telling you, but it doesn't feel like... It's not really wasted moments, it doesn't feel like, in my opinion. You know, that's very interesting because you've you've just saw this for the first time, like, a couple days ago. And I've watched this, like, 20 plus times in my lifetime. And I'm surprised that you actually found the mystery interesting. Yeah. But granted, you hadn't seen the movie before. And so... When looking back on this movie, you're like, oh, yeah, Judge Doom is the, the villain because his name is Judge Doom. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm surprised. It, it, is, it is a very interesting story, I would agree. And it goes back to how much they sell the gravity mm-hmm. of a lot of the situations. I wouldn't necessarily say because Judge Doom is a very obvious giveaway, but I'm sure that, I don't know if you were thinking it when you were watching it, like if that was like a red herring, did you think? Not or? really. I thought he was just going to be a cop that clashed with Eddie. Um, like like a obstacle to yeah, overcome? Yeah, I didn't see him really so as... So who did you think did it? I definitely thought that... Um, uh, who's the... So there's... Mar- uh, Marin's killed. Maroon? Maroon is killed, and who's the other guy? Acme? Acme, yeah. But he's dead. No, I mean, okay, who's... So it's Acme's the guy that they put... He puts his tie in the film thing. No, that's Maroon. That's who I thought it was. I thought it was Maroon. You thought it was him? Yeah, because they heard... I heard it was like they blackmailed Jessica Rabbit to take mm-hmm. the pictures, and I always thought it just came back to that because it, there were times where I had to pause it and be like, okay, so this means that this happened mm-hmm. and it's connected to it in this way. So what I thought it was is I thought that, okay, you hired... Because they wanted to fire Roger Rabbit, so they hired... I thought they hired um uh eddie to go get the pictures and then they blackmail jessica to um be to pose for the pictures and then that he definitely wanted um acme dead so that he could acquire the company and i just thought it was all maroon and judge um judge doom was just gonna <laughs> judge judge Dredd. Dredd. <laughs> yeah. and i thought judge doom was just gonna be another guy that you know was gonna get in the obstacle of just trying to get roger rabbit mm-hmm. to um just to kill roger because he's like oh he's a murderer i gotta get him and eddie mm-hmm. bell was like no he's an innocent man i didn't think he was behind the whole thing yeah that's that's interesting just because like i said you've only seen this one time and thinking back i didn't even write this down but there are parts where they run through everything that happened within like a 10 second sentence yeah kind of like what you just said where it's like oh they get blackmailed here and they got yeah. granted i've been lucky to kind of get what's going on um but you thought maroon did it that's interesting yeah well i mean there there's there is a lot of time he kind of helped do it mm-hmm. 
<laughs> but he's de- he was definitely involved. But yeah, once he well, died, he was only I, involved because he didn't want uh, Cloverleaf to Cloverleaf. Yeah, was it Cloverleaf to take over the the um Toontown? Well, Toontown and also the production company yeah. too. Um, did you like Judge Doom? I did. I mean, it's Christopher Lloyd. I mean, how could you not? Honestly, like you know, I, I, when I, I was little, I, like I didn't make the connection that it, that was Doc Brown. Oh yeah, because <laughs> he was scary. Yeah. No, yeah. At the end, he's horrifying. <laughs> like honestly, yeah, I, I kind of want to know how you thought about. No, that. yeah. So, um, so then we get into a really great sequence, um, in the. What's the club that they go to that Jessica sings at? Oh, something ink. Oh, uh, you think I would know? Yeah, <laughs> it's. I think it's like the blood and ink or something like that. The ink or, well, I don't know. I don't know. Some, some dumb pun about cartoons. Something it's a dumb punny cartoon yeah. movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the ink and. The paint and ink. The, the paint, paint and ink. That that makes ink and, sense. And the ink and paint. I knew there was ink in there. The ink and paint club. So, um, I really like that. Donald scene. and Daffy. Yeah, that was really. Donald and Daffy. <laughs> <laughs> That's so much fun. It's I just love mm-hmm. when they're like, especially when Donald takes over the reins of on the piano and he's well, playing the, both the, the back and the forth. Um, mm-hmm. There are a lot of fun and. I'm biased because that's Donald and Daffy are both my favorite from Disney and Warner Brothers, respectively. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of people were like, oh, Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny. But no, I was like Daffy Duck and Donald Duck fighting together. Yeah, that was that was and, really great. And that's where I was also introduced to the Hungarian Rhapsody. Oh, nice. Yeah, really, really great. Because <laughs> I music. thought that was just a piece of music from the movie for the longest time. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it, not the case. It's nope. very well known. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that it's so much fun. And then, of course... You meet Marvin Acme. Mm-hmm. Did you like his name? Marvin Acme. Yeah, I just kept I just kept thinking back to like Wiley Coyote yeah. showing up. Yeah, like I think they do a clever job of like, well, if they live in this cartoon world where cartoons are actual people, they need the props to do yeah. it. And oh, it's of course it's Acme. Yeah. Although you don't see much of Acme in the Disney shorts, so I wonder if they're boycotting his mm-hmm. uh, props. But that's going into the logistics of this fictional world. Yeah. <laughs> We're never going to know. Um, so, um, also uh, a minute in that same scene, I don't know why I like this joke so much. It's when he's it on like the on the rocks. Yeah, <laughs> I wrote that. I, down. That was I really like that because it, it's just it's so small. But I just love just when he's and just then like he gets rocks he, and his uh, yeah was he, it scotch yeah he's like scotch yeah. on the rocks and I mean ice you know and he's just sitting because they're lo- the penguins yeah I love that he's just sitting there and he just looks so defeated that he got a, like a. Giant, giant rock, rock just in his scotch. scotch. It's like, God damn it, I asked. And price. I, and also having grown up to just memorize dates and movies about animation and stuff like that, the waiters in that club are the penguins from Mary Poppins. But Mary Poppins doesn't come out until 1964, and this takes place in 1947. So that means that they're just freaking penguin waiters that were drawn into existence without any purpose until Mary Poppins. Oh my god! <laughs> they were out of a job forever. <laughs> I guess, and now they're they're still out of the job. Yeah, sixty plus years. <laughs> and then we're introduced to so many people's childhood love, crush, and sex appeal. Jessica Rabbit, and honestly, I lo- just really liked her voice performance, and I thought it was a really good song. <laughs> it's a different voice singing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't um, remember who it is. I never liked Jessica. 
I was fine with her. Well, like, as a character, she's fine, but like mm-hmm. I, I never got the appeal yeah. of her visually. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, well, my I, dad I, likes her. Oh, so yeah, I I just more was focused on the actual performance of Jessica Rabbit than the appeal of her because I I like I like the song a lot. Her anatomy is the complete reverse in every single way of an actual human. But yeah, <laughs> like her boobs bounce upwards instead of downwards. Oh really? Because uh, the way they wanted to animate her was tricky to get in between like weird looking and kind of sexy yeah so you, th- that's what we got and obviously her waist is size well it's finger. like meg yeah. from hercules mm-hmm. like how do you eat with that yeah exactly nevertheless good performance, good performance. i also really like the uh, uh s- small side character i like the bouncer dog like i just i just he's thought he gorilla. looked gorilla yeah sorry i don't know why i thought he was, he's i just think he's <laughs> he's i just think he's funny looking and also when they when he throws i think this was the one or two one of two iffy moments in animation for me in this movie mm-hmm. is when he throws um, oh and he, bob hoskins kind of floats yeah, just there like, for a little bit ah! <laughs> <laughs> what are you gonna do for 1980 no yeah it's it's a small moment it's 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 a very small quick moment but it was one it was just like ooh. You know? uh, the quote i wrote down regarding the the monk the gorilla bouncer was uh he lets he lets eddie in the club and eddie just goes nice monkey suit and then he just goes wise ass (laughs) (laughs) good stuff good stuff um on the rocks i mean ice yeah what other quotes do you have written down um i just referenced my biscuits are burning i loved that you said yosemite sam showed up he's one of my favorites from looney tunes Um, so great that's the kind of thing where as an audience member they introduce toontown to you but through the story they're like oh i just haven't been near toontown in a long time yeah and then you set up me sam flies over the wall and his biscuits are burning mm-hmm. and that's all i remember about him well yeah <laughs> my biscuits are burned um so roger rabbit um enlists the help of well eddie valiant catches jessica and uh acme marvin yeah. acme playing patty cake, patty, patty cake. Well, i want to <laughs> i'm so sorry did, did you get it at first, uh, at first I, I, I were you like whoa this no is i thought movie. at first i thought they were like i thought it was like oh they're playing patty cake and i was like oh i thought they were just like you know kissing or something like that but then i was like oh they keep saying patty cake they were probably just playing patty cake and then they flipped <laughs> the photo. i love that the photos are literally just mirrored like you could totally see they're just small moves it's like hands together hands <laughs> hands apart hands together together well and that's the kind of thing that flew over my head when i was a five-year-old because like oh this is implying that like sex and intercourse between tunes cartoons is pe- playing patty cake yeah <laughs> and to me i was just like oh he's, he's upset that they're playing patty yeah. cake together but if you get the joke you're like oh no. yeah exactly yeah a lot of implications and there. that's the first time roger shows back up in mm. the movie and he's decimated I had to turn the volume on my TV down a lot when he first drank the, the booze. The, the booze. <laughs> it's pretty good. Oh, I wrote down, Toons drink alcohol, question mark, an arrow pointing down to dip, question mark, because I wasn't sure if... I, I wasn't... I'm not sure if there's supposed to be a metaphor there of, like, 
because there is an allegory of the tunes as African Americans in the 1940s because there's no justice for them like the law enforcement is pretty much after them mm-hmm. um and like the law enforcement they can just do whatever they want yeah, and just yeah, get yeah. away with it like even Roger says there's no justice for tunes anymore you mm-hmm. know that and i wasn't sure if there was supposed to be like a metaphor of <laughs> i'm just digging too deep <laughs> but like alcohol or even some sort of uh, drugs being introduced to tunes to make them freak out more yeah because then dip is kind of like the next step from alcohol yeah and that's just completely destroys them yeah so i'm just digging deep for no reason at all well that's good i mean that's i mean it's good to think about those things because i mean maybe some maybe it is nothing but i mean these filmmakers you know they think a lot about this stuff so uh I love the scene. What so they go and uh, they find out that um, Acme has been killed. A safe dropped on, has been dropped on his head. And I love the scene at the crime scene when all the cops are playing with the. You the used tune. to be Eddie Valiant, right? It's <laughs> 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 the guy with the mustache. Yeah. <laughs> hey, remember thee? <laughs> and throws the hole in the wall. Oh yeah, that's I like I like. And that, that whole that's... scene is introducing the climax of the movie. Yeah, and that's that's good. I wrote down here. This movie has good setup and payoff. Good foreshadowing, yeah. Both, as we said, in the world building in the first 30 minutes, but also, like, um, in the club when Acme sprays Eddie with the ink, mm-hmm. and then he's like, it's disappearing. Ink. Yeah, exactly. I don't know why I sounded like Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> hey, hey. <laughs> um, but, like, then it, it turns out that it's disappearing, reappearing ink, and that mm-hmm. has to do with the will and stuff like that so introducing like the hole the portable hole or the the hammer with the the boxing glove punching out of it it's it's good setup it was just it was set up and payoff i just really like the way that it's It's real Chekhov's gun yeah it's i mean it's i like it was just it was a lot of fun to watch like to watch them interact with with these like cartoon like toys in gadgets. a way gadgets yeah Gizmo. it was it was just a lot of fun and of course we get introduced to uh the weasels well i liked the weasels a lot i thought they were really funny but judge doom uh i mean like i said christopher lloyd is he's fantastic he plays a really good apparently in all the scenes that he's in his cape his uh his his cape or his coat is flowing in wind oh they really in every scene his uh if you look closely his clothes are billowing in a fan wind mm-hmm. that's funny <laughs> and, and you know that here's where i defend judge doom because i was surprised that you didn't think he was the villain right uh-huh. off the bat because he's very over the top like oh his name's judge doom yeah it's like dr doom you're gonna be evil yeah if your name's that my defense of him is that in the end he ends up being a toon we find out that he is a cartoon yeah and if you think about it in that way a cartoon would go over the top if he was being a villain yeah so I think it works well that he w- his character went over the top yeah. to be a villain. No, I would agree with that. Yeah, I guess I mean I guess I wasn't. Uh, I, I guess I, I just didn't really pick. I didn't really think about him being the villain that much. I was just focused on everything else that was happening. Um, but I, I, he gives such a great performance. He doesn't apparently in every scene that he's in, he doesn't. You don't see he him blink. blink. Yeah. yeah, that's a really great. That must have been a really difficult. But that's. That's a great addition. You gotta to his do character. what you gotta do. Yeah, make a good movie. But that's a really, really great addition to to his character. It just makes him even more creepy. 
Now I just got to catch up on some quotes that I wrote down. (laughs) Baby Herman, I got a 50-year-old lust with a three-year-old dinky. Oh, yeah. Did you like that one? Oh, that that, that, really popped out of me. I was like, oh, wow. Like, I Uh, wouldn't have understood that as a kid. When Roger goes back to to Eddie's office and Eddie's like, did you, does anyone know you're here? And he's like, lists everyone in town that he's talked to, but they didn't know where Eddie lived, but the liquor store guy, Mm -hmm. he knew. (laughs) (laughs) Uh... And then the, when the weasels come to Eddie's office, the weasel goes, enough of that bullshtick mm. instead of the other warrior. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love... I love We're the... caught up. <laughs> okay, good. I really liked the, the first scene with uh, Roger and Eddie. I really liked when they're interacting and they hang their... Well, and he's reluctant and Roger handcuffing them. And that's the kind of thing where he's... Eddie doesn't want to help him, but in that case, he kind of has to. Yeah the burden of Roger becomes less and less mm-hmm. throughout the movie and it becomes he actually wants to help him. Yeah, and he understands that doing, he's doing the right thing for me, the person he may not actually like per se, but it he knows that that's important and that's kind of his moral code. And that whole scene when the weasels come in and they're ca- carrying actual guns, they're little, little puppeteering marionettes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just the guns are on strings, and people are above the set holding the guns. Oh, interesting! You should watch behind the scenes stuff of oh, I'm sure this movie because I don't know if there's the official number. I thought I read somewhere that this movie for a while had the largest number of special effects shots. Oh wow! In like per frame uh-huh. just because of how much has to be in every scene uh-huh. but like stuff like that where they're holding real life objects mm-hmm. and it's like it's 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 seamless and that's we'll get into the animator maybe but he's one of the greats yeah the, so much work had to be done it just seems like such a daunting task to, to take on something like this okay okay so eddie and roger go to the bar to hide roger mm-hmm. <clears throat> in the back room in the speakeasy which I, I really like the um i like the scene a lot where they're trying to cut his handcuffs off <laughs> he's like you could have slipped out of that the whole time <laughs> only when it was funny yeah <laughs> <laughs> i didn't even notice it at first i thought he just moved over no. and didn't even notice he could actually <laughs> slip out of it that scene well infamously is called uh bumping the lamp because this is very much into fixing it in post, mm-hmm. if you will. Because in the scene, the lamp that's above them is very low. And oh, yeah. Eddie keeps bumping his head into it. And that means that the light source in the scene is constantly moving. And granted, it's easy just because they're live action. So the live action characters don't have to worry about that. But the animators had to animate the light coming back onto Roger yeah. and leaving him every single time. And they didn't know about the lamp when they were filming, so they yeah. couldn't refilm it. Mm-hmm. And in the biz, it's called bumping the lamp. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow, that animators must have been pretty pretty pissed off about that. They weren't happy about it. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. It's, um, it's a lot of tedious work. Did you like uh, another quote? in that scene is when they have to go check the probate <laughs> oh, yeah. and Roger, Roger's like oh my th- my uncle Thumper had to have his probate checked out he had to eat these big pills and drink lots of water <laughs> not prostate <laughs> probate. there are a lot of I mean 
PG movies in the 80s, they got away with a lot of stuff. That's not getting away. That's just, he's stupid. Well, I mean, it's just like. Prostate's not a so, bad just, word. I guess it just seems like a lot of stuff that would definitely go over, go over people's oh, heads. Definitely. Yeah. Like my parents would laugh at that scene all the time and I wouldn't know. Yeah. Um, But my main focus on that scene in the speakeasy is really Roger's mentality mm-hmm. because he explains to Eddie that laughter is the most effective tool that we have yeah. in this world and there's not much worth living for if you can't laugh about exactly. it exactly and because like oh i could have done this but only when it was funny yeah exactly so, well yeah and that's like i think that's a really great message overall in the movie or like that, that the movie is trying to give off is the power of laughter and that is just shown great in roger's character because and it's the only like you said it's the only weapon that they have well and that's why it's so devastating when he's so sad <clears throat> yeah exactly most of this movie this movie's not as funny as i remember it being oh yeah because it's it's kind of a downer a i mean there's bit. definitely so yeah like you said it's a pathos filled movie it has a lot of emotion in it um let's see what i have no justice for tunes i mentioned that bumping the lamp uh did you like the shave and a haircut bit <laughs> I didn't understand it if I'm being completely like is that when he's knocking on the yeah, wall yeah yeah what is, is that like the um so it's the class you know when you go like shave and haircut two bits oh so what Judge <laughs> Doom was doing was going shave and a haircut mm. and then not saying two bits and that was building up in him mm. Roger because he's a tune yeah and tunes need to let that out yeah I will say that that scene is very um it has a very good like like feeling of suspense it does hold it for a while because I, I mean i liked when he like all you see is the point of view of when he's looking through the the holes in the wall mm-hmm. and he's watching he's just going from person to person and it does have that and he's trying to hold roger mm-hmm. and it just seems like it, it has a really great well and even like the the patrons in the bar like eddie was saying that angelo i think that's his name mm-hmm. uh the one of the other sleazy guys in the bar would rat Roger out even if you made him laugh. And it's set up in the first twenty minutes of the movie that like Angelo's a piece of poop. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, he just likes to bother people and he'd sell his own mother if he could. Yeah, for a but nickel. That, but then it proves Roger right that he he helped him be happy. Yeah. And that's the best thing you can do for someone. Yeah. To befriend like to like befriend them and like, yeah. Um I like the Harvey reference. Like I, I really went like over that. my head when yeah. I was younger. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just thought it was a very clever reference. Um, There's so much in this movie. Oh, there man. is. It's it's. Just... Um, I'll try to go quick with some of this stuff, like the um, entering Toontown, where I think you were referencing the Eddie's arc with alcoholism earlier, where he's about to go into Toontown, but he's doing what's right and. He decides to get off the bottle. Yeah, I like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And almost like face his demons too and going into Toontown. Because it's something he didn't want to do. Well, even when he's confiding in Roger about his brother dying and it it links back to the mixing of silliness and seriousness. The Judge Doom dropped a piano on his brother's head. Yeah. But Bob Hoskins and the writers make, make it a great deal of how affecting this was to the people around them like Dolores and and Eddie and his brother they were a great team and they were separated by such tragedy from such a place of levity from a cartoon mm-hmm. it's flipped on its head man yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> he makes me laugh yeah 
That's what Jessica says. Oh, yeah. That's why she's married to Roger. <laughs> yeah. She makes him laugh. It's so sweet. She I, makes her laugh. They are a... I, I, I really... I actually do like them as a couple. I think they're really cute. They're a nice couple. They are. They love each other for who yeah, they are. Yeah, exactly. Well, so, at, I love the entrance into Toontown. Smile, dog! <laughs> smile! I don't know why, but when I first watched that and the sun, like, comes up, mm-hmm. I kept thinking about the scene, like, in Rick and Morty when the sun the comes sun out. is screaming. screaming for 40 <laughs> hours. looks like that. Yeah. Or, like, the Teletubbies baby. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this picture, like... Oh, Oh, Toontown. Ah! <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like that. Uh-huh. Are there any questions you have for me? Not necessarily. Not, not really. I mean, because everything, the only other things I have are like how much work went into the movie. Well, it, it seems but like. I don't know if you had anything else to add. Not really. I mean, I guess in, I like the tune. I, the whole Toontown segment just was, it just seemed like it was a lot of fun. I liked seeing. It just was fun to see, like, kind of it turned around from the rest of the movie of a of a human interacting in the in the tune time mm-hmm. in the tune era where it was most of the movie was tunes interacting with humans. Mm-hmm. So it was to to he became kind of the stranger in a strange land area. He like it was very different for him. And I liked I don't know I liked the scene in the elevator when he's going up and down, going up, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Mind the steps, sir. <laughs> Um, um, and my oh, I do have a complaint with this movie. Okay, is the part when Eddie's in Toontown, and he see he thinks he sees Jessica, in through a window, and he goes up the the elevator, which is a fun gag with Droopy Dog, and then he goes into the room where he thinks Jessica is, and it's just this, this weird looking doppelganger of Jessica Rabbit. And if this character had anything else to do, like if she was uh, Jessica's stunt double or something like that, or it was established anything like that at all, it would be fine. But this character has nothing to do with anything. Uh-huh. Yeah. And sure, I can argue. You can argue that this is like a reference to, like in cartoons when you mix up or you accidentally think you're chasing the right person but it's not and you pay for it mm-hmm. i get that but as it's not very obvious where the reference is yeah kind of like you with the shave and the haircut bit yeah like you didn't really get it mm-hmm. it just served the plot that came out of the doppelganger of jessica rabbit comes out of nowhere and that's my only complaint about the movie it's pretty it is a it's a very creepy moment it only exists to get eddie to be down in the alleyway Mm -hmm. where he thinks jessica is yeah just fun little antics Mm -hmm. and the best antics are in the movie are in between it with uh, tweety bird and uh letting him fall and uh mickey mouse and bugs Bunny. that was that was the only other uh, instance of wonky animation that I notice is when he falls and he catches the the flagpole. Uh, no, whatever. again, it's like they're small things, but it was just something I noticed, yeah. And it did was you, it, Did you like Mickey and Bugs? Yeah, it was cool. It was cool the to see. The only say. time they'll ever be together officially. Yeah. It, I mean, it wasn't something where I was like, yeah, I've been waiting forever. <laughs> but it was like, it was like, oh yeah, it's, it's so, cool. So like, interestingly, because Bugs gives him the spare, which mm-hmm. is a funny joke, but Disney wanted to make sh- doubly sure that Mickey wasn't the one that screwed Eddie over. Oh. <laughs> because Mickey wouldn't do that. Yeah, no. And that it's totally in Bugs' character mm-hmm. to screw with this random guy. Yeah. He's like, oh, poor fellow. Yeah. <laughs> hey, nice thinker. <laughs> yeah, it's, it was, it was, I mean, yeah, it was cool to see them. Again, they, they're they not my favorites in either of their 
respected companies or mm-hmm. areas or but it was still cool to to see them yeah um so you know in the end we get a really really fun um kind of if you will battle scene between it's a big uh, twist yeah where he um uh, where judge doom is the guy who killed eddie's brother which i didn't see happening at first but when he was rolling over him mm-hmm. i was like oh he's gonna it's turn into a horrific tune. when it's like oh even if it, he is a tune it's like oh my god that guy's a freaking tune yeah um i do like the and i just noticed this today when i watched it because they talked about like where did this judge doom guy come from when he first appeared in the movie and one of the detective guys is like oh he uh he managed he had a lot of uh money and he just bought the election and then i realized oh in the robbery that killed eddie's brother the tune got away with a lot of money yeah yeah and i was like oh my god this is great yeah (laughs) good tie-in yeah um yeah he's what, first, did he scary? He was. He was very, very creepy. Imagine like, watching that as like a two-year-old. Yeah, or a oh, I'm, I'm sure I wouldn't have liked it like at all. Um, but like when he was getting rolled over, I was like, okay, he's getting flattened out. He's probably going to become a tune. And then when he became the tune, I was like, oh, he's probably the guy who killed. When I talk to Justin, I can't. It's. I mean, it's a lot shorter than I. That that sequence is a lot shorter than I remembered it being. Yeah. Um. Because it is so scary and it, yeah. uh, it impacts you, but he's only on screen for like a little bit. Yeah, but it's it's also followed by the really awesome. I like the the dance number that um, Eddie Valent does. <laughs> uh, that's I, that's just like really like a lot of fun. It's great. nose nose don't rhyme with wall, <laughs> <laughs> but this does. <laughs> uh, it's it's just such it's so much fun and. Um, leaving the critical side of it mm-hmm. and getting it we've talked a lot about we've touched a lot on the analysis of it i think that you know we've talked about the character arcs there's a lot of moments of change for set up and payoff yeah set up and payoff um what do you what do you think this movie um well f- first has this movie changed for you is it different watching it as an adult than when you were as a kid or is it is it st- stayed pretty much consistent for you i would say when i was a kid because when I was a kid, I liked watching Boomerang and watching old cartoons. Yeah. Like, Tom, like Tom and Jerry was my absolute favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, but I liked watching the Looney Tunes and the Disney shorts. So when I was a kid, I was more interested in seeing the cartoons. Yeah. Like, that, that's the key jingling in front of the kid. Yeah. And I would say as I got older, the more I understood things better. Yeah. Um, so I guess in that regard of the movie changing over time for me, it's really a matter of what I focus on. Um, mm-hmm. I definitely enjoyed, the, I like, I mean, as much as I did like, you know, Roger and Jessica mm-hmm. and all like, and the references, I really generally enjoyed the human side of this mm-hmm. movie. They're, they're, they're really good at building characters and obviously Absolutely. in the story, it's so it's done really well. Um, you know, watching it for a first time, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's obviously different than growing up with it. Um, and what do, do you think that, what is, do you think that there's a, a really good message that someone can take away watching this movie what do you think that is being that is trying to be conveyed through this movie because obviously it's like you know we it's it's almost in a way it's almost a gimmick movie on the surface uh-huh. like okay we want to blend animation with you know it's live like action. this groundbreaking blend yeah. of the two kind of like toy stories the monumentous first cgi movie mm-hmm. blah 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 snow white's the first fully animated yeah um but is is uh, there something hidden... that's trying to be said do you feel because i think like 
Well, definitely Judge Doom goes off on making freeways and kind of commercializing the way we travel and the way we kind of go about our lives. And that's the most on the nose Mm-hmm. kind of commentary and even then I can kind of just be like it's really including the classic cartoons of the day it's really kind of mixing a viewpoint of sticking to the knowing what you like I guess and then mixing nostalgia with that because Judge Doom it could be criticizing commercialization from even though they're being made by Disney and Warner Brothers yeah. and Touchstone yeah. and Spielberg. Um, but I think Judge Doom's uh, plan is really much more of overcomplicating and making us not focus on what makes us happy in the first place. Because I would say the deepest message or the actual message is have fun Mm-hmm. have levity because when Roger says like laughter and comedy is the greatest weapon we have he's standing on a literal soapbox uh-huh. like in the movie it's a soapbox he's standing on um, so to me you can interpret a literal thing especially from Judge Doom when he's going on his monologue Yeah, but it's really just make be happy yeah and help others be happy yeah when rod when roger says that that laughter is the best weapon we have and it's the only thing we can do to like you know the, the, i think that is the thing that sticks out to me mm-hmm. the most that i remember the most and that i'll carry with me after watching this movie like that is a very powerful message mm-hmm. yeah, to be happy to have those moments in your life of you know pure joy because i think that's another thing like i don't think that uh, Eddie Valiant had felt joy in a very like long time and that moment where he like did that where he saved Roger and he did that whole through silliness through silliness yes. I think he that was the most happy he had felt in a very long time so I think that that along with well because Roger and Eddie help each other yeah because Roger they were they were both depressed in the beginning of the case yeah. and then working together they built themselves up to be happier individuals it's not saying you have to be happy all the time mm. but like the importance of helping other people be happy yeah is the main takeaway yeah. from this for me and i also i also think this is a smaller thing and it may be a little uh it may be deeper than what one is going for but i think that um the whole purpose like he doesn't like tunes and i think that this whole experience has made him maybe even more open and maybe it's a commentary on or like saying that like one is not the one that killed his brother is not necessarily for all for all of them oh yeah definitely it's a racial allegory especially it's more so in the book Mm -hmm. um but they're comic strip characters in the book yeah that's why they're censored and not framed framed yeah um so we have a like I said earlier, we have a rating system here at uh, Frankly I Love Movies, and I like to do it in terms of medals, kind medals. of like the Olympics. Okay. So from top to bottom, it goes platinum, gold, silver, bronze, participation, <laughs> and disqualification. Disqualification. Where does this movie land for you? Well, I want to I, I wanna see where it lands for you first. Okay. Um, it was... 
I, w- I was not expecting there was no point in me going to watch this that I thought I was going to not like mm-hmm. it. I definitely knew I was going to like it. Um, I'm not the biggest fan overall of the blending, uh, just as a general style of blending live action and animation together in the way that they do. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's just not something that I think is like amazing or just like wonderful mm-hmm. in my mind. So I think it's cool, but it's not... Um, I don't think it's as amazing as maybe a lot of other people sure. see it as. And while the story, like I said, is very much complicated and moving parts, and I see that that is a good thing for the writers to make it intricate, there were times where I did have to kind of pause and be like, oh, okay, like, so that means like this and this and this. Like, if I were to see it in a theater, I feel like it would, like, I would, I would have to go see it again and again mm-hmm. to fully understand it. Um, so that is a little bit of a negative for me. I don't think this movie's perfect, but there's a lot of enjoyment, it's a lot of fun. And it's like I said, it's very well written in jokes and story, and there is something to be said. Mm-hmm. So for me, I would give it a gold. Gold. Um, I really do put this movie on a high pedestal, don't I? Um, it's kind of interesting to look at this movie in retrospect, just because Spielberg had to encourage all the movie studios to get their cartoons into this movie. And so much work went into the blending of the live action and the animation. And I do have nostalgic goggles looking towards this movie just because I did grow up with it. But I do think that... It's kind of hard because if it's my pure heart rating, it would be platinum all the way. But you can kind of go like, oh, no movie is perfect kind of angle because... This is one of the movies, it's probably my top 10 mm-hmm. of all time. So, like, I think of my favorite, Empire Strikes Back, and I think of, like, comparing the two. And even then, I would probably maybe give that one a gold, too. So, I would say a probably a blend of platinum and gold. <laughs> like, my heart's in the platinum, but my mind is in the gold. I don't... I, and to be clear, like, that's perfectly fine, but mm-hmm. I don't think a movie necessarily has to be perfect to get, that to, to get the, play, the platinum yeah. rating. And that's it's kind of like you can be a 95 is still an A. Thanks, Jimmy Neutron. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Are you glad I got that right? Yes, I am very happy that you did. Um, So it... It's all, I mean, it's all relative. That's just me being analytical. No, no, that's fair. But if you had a gun to my head, I'd probably say platinum just because I love it so much. But I do, having watched it today, there were some aspects where I'm like, oh, I thought this movie was a lot longer. I thought it was two and a half hours. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it was like an hour 30 in and I'm like, oh, we're done. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Great. That's another thing. It's really well paced. I think it goes by very well. And (laughs) yeah, um, we didn't really talk about Zemeckis. (laughs) That oh. much. <laughs> he did a good job. He, he, did, he did do. Really, I think the I think the best thing that he did with this movie is that he blended. Uh, it has the perfect you know fun adventure eighties feel with noir of the forties and fifties. I, I would believe that this movie was filmed in the forties. Yeah, yeah. He did. He and that's really tough to do. I mean, it was probably easy to spot in like in the eighties when this came out. It was probably a lot more just like yeah, like this looks like it, this it, is the future, yeah. man. <laughs> it, it just it, he did such a great job of blending the style, not only like the look but the styles and the feel of, oh, of sure. those great Absolutely. noir movies with this kind of cool new fun um, adventure that was going on in the eighties, especially right after Back to the Future and E. T. was big. It just and obviously with Spielberg's mm-hmm. help, it just he that's the biggest the biggest uh, praise I can give him and obviously like i said the pacing of it um 
it doesn't there's no parts that are boring i don't think there's a moment that's really wasted i think that everything just seems placed really well oh yeah absolutely so you gave it gold i Mm. give it platinum i guess overall yeah um so we really like it we really like yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for coming, Eric. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed I enjoyed having a discussion with someone who hasn't seen a movie that you love so much. And I'm sure it's the same for you with the movie you have, I don't know, with me. But I'm really happy I was able to have you experience one of my favorite movies, but also have a positive experience yeah. with that too. I'm glad I got to experience it again. I'm sorry it's taken so long, but I'm really glad that I did. No, I'm it's great. <laughs> um that's going to do it for this episode of Frankly, I Love Movies. Make sure to tune in in two weeks for a new episode with a fresh new review and a special guest. Uh, we are now on Twitter and um, and Facebook. You can go look up the Frankly, I Love Movies Facebook page. And on Twitter, I believe it's at film podcast. You can just look up Frankly, I Love Movies yeah, and, and you'll get it. And it's just it's it's the picture of the cover art of the podcast. Um, so thank you guys very much for listening. Till next time, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies.